0: I don't know if you've ever noticed, but God actually forbids the act of worrying. God doesn't say, try not to worry, or try to relax a little. What He actually says is, do not worry. I don't know about you, but some days I find that almost a little unrealistic. I mean, with bills to pay, and kids to raise, and a house to maintain, how do you not worry? Today, on The Voice of Prophecy, we're going to discover that not worrying is actually more of a command than you might think, and what God says you can do about this very real problem. I don't mean to go and add to your stress level, But if you spend a lot of time worrying, you should probably stop, because more and more research is still confirming that habitual worry is probably going to kill you. And of course, now what I've done is gone and given you something else to worry about. But seriously, we all know that stress and worry cause all kinds of health problems. One study I looked at recently said that stress doesn't just make you agitated, it actually causes your body to start breaking down. And I mean everything from the more obvious things, like damage to your heart, down to damaging your teeth and gums. High stress levels wear down your immune system, which means you're a lot more likely to get sick. And that might mean more cold and flu. But it might also eventually mean more cancer. Now, here's the problem. Back in the day when our ancestors worked outside, maybe on the farm, maybe cutting trees down in the woods, It was a different work environment. They had to face a different set of problems. Out in the woods, you might actually come face to face with a grizzly or a mountain lion. And when that happens, your brain suddenly kicks into autopilot. It just takes over. Because your ability to use logic is kind of suspended in a moment of panic. Your brain suddenly dumps a bunch of hormones into your bloodstream, stuff like adrenaline and cortisol. And those hormones quickly elevate your heart rate. They make you breathe faster so you get more oxygen. And they flood your bloodstream with glucose so you have lots of fuel to help you run away. What you feel, though, is this cold sense of panic. Kind of like that awful sensation you get when you're going down a flight of stairs in the dark and you suddenly miss a step. Or, or maybe that feeling you get when someone swerves in front of you on the freeway and just about hits you. Your whole body tenses up, and you get this really quick flash of panic-driven energy. It's almost like you get these superhuman response times. And even when the danger is averted, when you realize that you only missed one step on that dark staircase, when you realize you're going to be fine, your heart still keeps racing for a few seconds after the crisis is over. Now, that's the fight-or-flight mechanism, and I know you've heard of it. It's a natural healthy response designed to keep you alive. But it also makes incredible demands on your body. It pulls all or most of your resources in one direction. And because you have limited physical resources, it actually starts to shut down other systems in your body. Stuff you don't need at that moment, like your immune system, your digestive system, your reproductive system. That stuff. Then, a few minutes later, when the bear suddenly goes back into the woods and you realize, oh, I'm going to live, your body shuts down the extra adrenaline and cortisol, and it goes back to the business of life. Your digestion comes back online. So do your immune system and your reproductive system, and the whole experience only lasts a few minutes, and then you go back to normal. But today, with most human beings moving into an urban environment, it's not a grizzly bear anymore. It's a different kind of stress. It might be an interpersonal relationship in the office, or a bad or overbearing boss. It might be an overdue project, or the presentation you have to make tomorrow morning. Those are our new stressors. The problem is that our body doesn't know the difference. It still releases the same flood of adrenaline and cortisol, and it still diverts your body's resources to where it thinks it's going to need the most. And of course, that is the way your body is designed. It is natural. The problem in the modern work environment is that the crisis doesn't just last for two minutes. It goes on and on and on, hour after hour, day after day. And because your body's defense mechanisms don't know the difference, it just fires up that fight-or-flight response over and over and over, and it happens far more regularly than it was designed for. And that's when the real problems start because it doesn't just affect the rest of your body for a few minutes it affects you for weeks and months and years your body's stream of resources are all out of whack they're getting diverted to where you don't really need them long term and parts of your system start to suffer your immune system begins to malfunction cancer cells begin to show up and your organs stop working at peak efficiency and honestly, this is killing us Now, I might not be a doctor, but I do know what I'm talking about here because I've been there. Don't consider what I'm saying medical advice, consider what I'm saying my personal experience. I've had moments in my life where the stress levels just about took me out. I couldn't sleep. I found myself overreacting to even the smallest problems, and it was making my life miserable. And, of course, that's the moment when I discover the words of Jesus. That passage from the Sermon on the Mount where he tells us, Do not worry. And I've got to admit, there are days when I wonder how that's even possible anymore in the 21st century. I've got a mortgage. I've got kids to raise. I've got a ministry to run. I've got funds to raise. I've got a staff to pay. I've got to write a show and produce it. I've got public meetings to run. I've got a marriage that deserves my full-time attention. I've got, well, basically, I've got the same stuff you have to worry about. And then Jesus says, do not worry? How in the world would that even be possible? Let me read you the whole passage, because it's probably a good reminder that you and I are not living the ideal existence that God intended. Now, I think I've read through this passage on other programs, but this is really important, so let's look at it again. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Now remember, this is the Son of God speaking. Now, that last question, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I want you to think about that for a minute, because this is really important. I'm going to take a quick break right now, so that I can get my own adrenaline levels back down to normal. And I want to give you a chance to take an advantage of an amazing offer from the Voice of Prophecy. But then I'm going to come right back, so we can look at this more carefully. So don't go away.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: Which of you, the Bible says, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, those are words Jesus spoke almost 2,000 years ago, but I'm convinced that the remedy for stress and worry can actually be found in that single short sentence. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, I would love to pretend today that I've mastered what Jesus is talking about, but that wouldn't be true. Because I still do struggle to keep my mind from obsessing about problems. Boy, do I struggle. But by paying attention to this passage from the Sermon on the Mount, I've got to say that things are getting better, and I'm managing stress and panic a lot better than I used to. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You can worry all you want about everything, But worrying won't fix it, because there are some things in life you can't change. You can't control it. And one of those things is the fact that life is hard. No matter how much you think you've mastered life, no matter how much security you think you're going to build, something will happen at some point. Life will throw you a curveball. I can guarantee it. Your health might get compromised. The markets might take a hit. Your house might burn down. Maybe somebody dies. I guarantee you something will happen. I promise. You and I can't build a personal utopia and expect it will last. It's just not the way it is in this world. Those pleasurable moments when everything is going perfectly, they won't last either, at least not on this side of the second coming. And worrying isn't going to change the fact that something someday will happen. You can worry all you want, but it won't change it. So the big question is, is the worry worth it? Is it worth that endless stream of adrenaline and cortisol? Is it worth poor health? Is it worth those moments of blind, sweaty panic? Is it worth laying awake all night? The answer is no. It's not worth it. Now, here's another question. Do you believe in God? Now, maybe you don't, but then I'd encourage you go get a copy of our Discover Bible course and at least explore the possibility that God is real. But if you already know that He is, and you spend a lot of time worrying, then my question is simple. Don't you trust Him? That's the very point Jesus makes next. It's in verse 28, Matthew 6. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, I've got to admit, that last question hurts. When Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, I know that at some level he's actually talking to me because I can assure you that I have lived in the valley of despair. I have lived in existence where I eat, sleep, and breathe obsessive negative thoughts. I have woken up in the middle of the night thinking about a tiny little problem and I can't go back to sleep until I fix it. I don't know how many times I've spent the whole night obsessing, tossing, and turning until I finally get out of bed and try and Do something. So when Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, I know exactly who he's talking to. He's talking to me. Don't you believe in me, Jesus says? Don't you trust me? Can't you see that everything around you is working fine? Those birds outside your house in the winter, they're fine. The groundhog living in the field across the street, he's not worried about breakfast tomorrow. The world is spinning and supporting life, and every morning the sun keeps coming up. This whole world is a miracle, but you don't get it, do you? You don't believe it's true for you. Therefore, do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you now here comes the big one this is verse 34 therefore do not worry about tomorrow now tomorrow is a key word for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble now I hope you're paying attention because Jesus just gave us the cure for obsession and worry and panic he just gave the cure for the kind of pessimism that literally can make you sick and the cure is simple Quit living in tomorrow. Live today. Live in this moment, because this is actually all you have. Now, of course, the whole Christian faith is forward-looking. It tells us to prepare for the coming kingdom. It does tell us to plan and use our lives wisely. It does tell us to prepare for tomorrow and base all of our hopes in the second coming. That's all true. But at the same time, Jesus says, live in today. Why? It's because you don't have tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't yours. You don't have it yet. But you spend all your time worrying about it. Tomorrow isn't yours until tomorrow begins. You are wasting today. You are wasting this moment right now by using this moment to worry. And by always living in tomorrow, you're actually failing to live. I mean, think back over your whole life, especially if you're middle-aged or older. How much of your life has been spent obsessing about the future? I'm not talking about wise planning. I'm talking about always, always, always working on the next thing. I'm talking about using today to worry about tomorrow. If that's the way you choose to live, you need to understand you're going to live the same way again tomorrow. You're going to worry about the next day, all day long. And you will never actually live in the day that you have you'll be throwing away your life. Now, if you go to the Eastern religions, and trust me, I am not a fan of Eastern religion because I think in many ways it offers a questionable substitute, maybe even a dangerous substitute, for a unique personal saving relationship with the person of Christ. I don't think Eastern religion is a path for Bible-believing Christians. And I know that that's not a politically correct thing to say in the 21st century, and I'm sure I'm stepping on somebody's toes here, but it's true. Eastern religion is not for Bible believing Christians. There aren't many paths up the mountain in Christianity. There are some things that are not part of a biblical Christian faith. But I must say that Eastern religions do have this concept that's worth considering for just a moment. In Eastern religions, particularly in Buddhism, you'll come across something that practitioners call mindfulness. It's actually a part of Eastern meditation. Now again, just in case I'm being misunderstood, please listen carefully. I am not advocating for Eastern meditation. I think, biblically speaking, it's the wrong path for Christians. But I do want to talk about their concept of mindfulness, because it does relate somewhat to what Jesus is talking about. Mindfulness is the deliberate act of living now, in this moment. When a Buddhist practices meditation, he or she is trying to live in the immediate presence. What they're trying to do is silence the noise that runs through the brain every day. They're trying to stop living an obsessive existence. So what they do is they pick a focal point, like maybe their breath. They go to a quiet place, they close their eyes, and every time their mind begins to wander, especially onto stressful topics, they deliberately refocus just on the simple act of breathing in and out in and out what they're trying to do is focus the mind and discipline it now i know some christians will say oh they're trying to empty their mind and that opens it up to all kinds of problems but that isn't quite accurate it's more a matter of training the mind to stay focused on the present now i'm not again please i am not bringing that up because i want you to try out eastern meditation i don't I think Eastern religion has all sorts of theological, deep theological problems for the Christian. Like this whole idea of finding an inner guide to lead you. Because Christianity teaches that your own heart is corrupted by sin. You can't trust the inner voice. You have to listen to God's voice. And of course, there's also this whole idea of reincarnation, which is completely at odds with the Bible. So, overall, I don't think Christians ought to mess with Eastern religion at all, because it's got the potential to pull you away from a biblical worldview. But what is it they're trying to achieve? The idea is to live in the present. They're trying to address an actual human need. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus has the answer. Don't worry about tomorrow, he says, because today is really all you've got, and that's enough for now. Today has enough trouble of its own. So how does a Christian accomplish it? If we're not going to adopt Eastern-style meditation, how do you and I learn to live in the present? Well, the Bible actually has two answers for that. One solution can be found in the fact that the Bible does indeed encourage Christians to meditate. The book of Psalms refers to the practice of meditation over and over and over again. The Bible says Isaac went out into the field to meditate. The book of Malachi talks about believers who meditate. But... It refers to people who meditate on the name of God. And that doesn't mean they mindlessly repeat one of God's names. It means they spend time reflecting carefully on the character and goodness of God. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, God tells His people to meditate on His law. And, of course, His law is a picture of what He's like. The book of Psalms, Psalm 119 in particular, says the same thing. I will meditate on your precepts. I will meditate on your wonderful works. So there is indeed a form of Christian meditation, but it centers on the person of God, not on some inner guide, not your own personal ability. One of the best cures for anxiety is to harness your thoughts by focusing them on who God is and what your relationship to Him is like. And that's the whole point that Jesus is making. Don't you trust me? This is a brilliant way to break free from your obsessive patterns of worry. Go, find a quiet place every day, even for just a few minutes. Turn off your cell phone and the internet and the TV and focus on what God has actually said about Himself. Maybe start in the book of Psalms. Notice what it says about Him. Notice how it describes God, and then talk to Him about what you're discovering. Lord, it says in this book that your works are wonderful, teach me to see that creation is not an accident. Teach me to see the kind of love and care you've provided for everything in this world, and then teach me to see that you have your hand on my life. Go and take just a few verses of the Bible and really chew on them. Use God's Word as your focal point. This isn't emptying your mind or using your own heart as a guide. This is quiet dialogue with the Almighty. So spend an hour with God, or or maybe just 15 or 30 minutes to begin, and relish every minute of it. Be determined to live in this moment and enjoy it. Far too much of your life has already slipped by unnoticed. And just in case you don't think you can actually unplug from the world, Just in case you think you don't have the time to do this, well, God's already thought of that, too. And this is where you're going to discover that do not worry is actually more of a commandment than you thought. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll show you exactly what I mean.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Like, where is God when people suffer? Or can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, and I have got to admit, the art of leaving tomorrow until tomorrow? Well, That's not easy for me. I've got an obsessive personality. This is a skill that I have to work on quite carefully. Just in case you don't think you have the time for quiet reflection with God, God thought of that. In recent weeks, I've been talking about why the Ten Commandments are such a good idea for human beings. And right at this moment, I want you to look at the fourth commandment, the one that we all seem to have the most trouble keeping. You know the one, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God calls the seventh day holy. It means it's different. It's set apart for special use. This is a day when you have full permission from God to just check out of your problems. It's a day you're not even allowed to worry. God says, look, I know you don't know how to do this. So I'm telling you, take a whole day. Take the whole day off. You don't have any choice in this matter. It's a commandment. I want you to spend the day with me. I want you to quit trying to do stuff and just be my child. Let me take care of you. I'll push the pause button for the whole universe, and you and I will just live in the moment. Look, this is one of God's most amazing gifts. He gave this to us in the Garden of Eden before we even sinned. And now that we have sinned, we need this gift more than ever. We need Sabbath. We need rest. That's what the word Sabbath means. We need a chance to quit doing and start living. And I know It's the one commandment out of the ten that nobody really talks about, although there are more and more people beginning to rediscover it. It is a key part, though, of God's solution for worry and stress. The God who said, do not worry, and that's a command, is the God who said, remember the Sabbath day, also a command. And I know that when it comes to the fourth commandment, some people cry, legalism. Let me ask you, how is it legalistic to walk away from your problems and devote a day to spending time with God and letting Him take over. That's grace. This is a gift designed to help you rediscover what it means to be completely human. If you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, God says, Isaiah chapter 58, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature, Jesus asked? Therefore, he said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Look, Do me a favor. No, actually, go and do yourself a favor. I want you to stop whatever you're doing. I mean, right after the show is done, of course, I want you to hear me out to the end. But as soon as this is done, do yourself a favor. Just put everything aside for a moment. I don't care how important it seems. Just go outside. Kick off your shoes. Feel the grass between your toes if there's grass outside to feel. Or go feel whatever it is. Even if there's snow on the ground. You live in the Arctic and there's snow. Just go out there and feel the snow with your bare feet and know that you're alive. Stand out there quietly. Take your earbuds out. Watch the birds. Listen to them. Do what Jesus advised you to do. Consider the lilies. Go for a walk and do it without your iPod or your smartphone. Just go for a quiet walk. And listen, and look, and notice that God is still there. Go outside, lay on the ground like you did when you were a little kid. I mean, really, when's the last time you did that? Go outside, lay on the ground. If there's a field full of tall grass, it's even more fun. You have my permission to go and do this. I don't care how responsible you are. I don't care how mature you are. Just go outside and do this. Lay on the ground like a little kid. Watch the clouds go by. Grab your Bible. Take the dust off of it. Clean it up. Open it up again, especially if you haven't in a long time. Read it. God's been waiting your whole life for just a little time with you. Look at the calendar. The Bible says that God set aside the seventh day to spend with Him. Set it aside this week. The phone calls will wait. The emails will wait. Everything can wait. But God can't. And your heart can't. It's time to grab the life that God intends for you. Enjoy this moment. Enjoy it thoroughly. Because honestly, in the words of Jesus, this is all you've got. You don't have permission to live in tomorrow. You need to live in today. And no, I'm not talking about going into quiet contemplation for the rest of your life. I'm not talking about becoming a monk and sequestering yourself apart from the worries of the real world. That's not what Jesus is asking. Even Jesus didn't live his whole life in quiet contemplation. But if you read the Bible, you'll see he did absolutely make time for his relationship with the Father. Sometimes he even walked away from a huge crowd to make sure he had that time. There were always demands on Jesus, and there will always be demands on you. But as far as tomorrow is concerned, look, tomorrow doesn't come until tomorrow. Let Jesus worry about that part. He's the master of the future. Time is his. He'll handle tomorrow. Just leave that with him. But right now, your duty is to live the life you have today. Get to know your God, because I think you might be surprised what he thinks you should be doing with your time. After all, it was Jesus who said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now the program's over. Go get started. Live today and spend it with God. My name is Sean Boonstra, and this has been The Voice of Prophecy.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if your life has lost its meaning, just moving from one task to another without any answers to the really important questions in life? Like, is it possible to have a fresh start and to find real happiness? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for to this and to all of life's big questions. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888 456 7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.